Aha! Bet you didn't think we'd be back so soon, did you? Well, actually, yes, of course you did. I only announced it a few days ago. Duh. Anyway, welcome back to the Nasty Pasty with a special bonus episode to celebrate our one-year anniversary. Today's episode is focusing on a case of mistaken identity, which is actually a small group of films that were released during the Video Nasty era, which unfortunately shared the same release titles as the infamous Hot Potatoes themselves. Now, we've already covered a small handful of these, such as Last House on the Beach, which was released as Terror, and Last House on Dead End Street, which was released as The Fun House. Both Terror and The Fun House were legitimate video nasties, and when one looks at an image of the original nasties list handed to police by the DPP, there's no differentiation between versions or clarity as to which film that the title's actually referring to. So... Often you had police seizing anything that had the same title, or even things that just had similarities to the title, such as Apocalypse Now, which officers thought was linked to Antonio Margariti's Cannibal Apocalypse. It's therefore rather safe to assume that anything with the same title as any of the video nasties was seized by the police, as they were just rather desperate in their raids to remove the filthy nasties from our grasp. This extra episode is therefore covering one such film, 1976's Who Can Kill a Child. It was released in the UK during the Nasty Scare as Island of Death, sharing a title with Nico Mastarakis's kinky sleazefest of the same name, which was an officially listed nasty. So let's get straight into this doppelganger then. Who Can Kill a Child? The film begins with stock footage of the child victims of the Auschwitz atrocity, before moving on to images of the war between India and Pakistan, the Korean and the Vietnam War, and finally the starvation crisis in Africa, all while unseen children are heard humming a tune. We're then shown a bustling beach, with families and children all having fun on the seaside. Suddenly a little girl finds a woman's body floating in the sea, showing clear signs of intentional foul play, which the ambulance crew confirm. Meanwhile, a British couple, Tom and his pregnant wife, Evelyn, arrive in Benevis, which is the seaside resort town where a festival's happening. Finding that many of the hotels are fully booked, they manage to find lodging for the night and they make clear their plans to go to Almanthora, which is a very quiet, peaceful island off the coast. While getting some new film from their camera, Evelyn notices a TV programme about war and becomes disturbed at more conflicts throughout the world, while more stories of bodies floating ashore are appearing in the local newspapers. The pair rent a boat and set off for the island of Almanthora, which when they arrive seems entirely populated by children, most of whom are silent and cold. Exploring the rest of the buildings, adults seem to be missing completely. Evelyn decides to stay out of the sun and remains in an empty cafe, while Tom goes to seek out a grocery shop. 
Seeing a window blind flicker, he goes to investigate but finds no one around, only for then several children to emerge giggling from a wardrobe. At the cafe, a child called Lourdes comes in to chat and ends up listening to Evelyn's stomach for her baby's heartbeat. Tom collects some food and supplies, reuniting with Evelyn to have something to eat, when they receive a phone call from another foreigner, with the pair unable to understand what she's saying. Evelyn soon spots an old man walking down the street and becomes more relaxed having seen an adult. Both she and Tom, however, notice a little girl head for the old man and beat him to death using a stick. Asking her why she's done such a thing, she only responds by giggling and running away. After putting the old man's body in a barn, Tom is then disturbed when children break in and use the body as a piñata, using a sickle rather than a stick. He returns to his wife, refusing to tell her what he's seen, only for them to get another phone call from the mysterious voice. He checks the other occupied rooms, only to find them filled with corpses of tourists. He wanders off then to investigate the hotel further, while Evelyn is accosted by an injured man who threatens her with a glass bottle. Managing to calm him down, Tom asks the man what happened on the island, where he describes two nights ago when the children all woke up in the middle of the night and proceeded to slaughter all the adults of the island. With no one feeling capable of hurting the children, the man explains that he has hidden ever since until he has heard the pair's voices. The phone rings yet again, this time with the voice speaking in English, asking for help just as the children burst into that woman's hiding place. The man informs Tom that she may be hiding where the phones are based in the local post office, but after arriving there, Tom only finds evidence of a struggle. Hearing a nearby church bell tolling, Tom finds a small gaggle of girls laughing about something before he finds a group of boys undressing the corpse of the woman from the phone. Tom returns to both the man and Evelyn to advocate their escape, only for the man's daughter to turn up, begging the man to leave with her. As they turn a corner, many kids shouting and screams are heard, implying that he's been killed. Taking no further chances, Tom grabs Evelyn's hand and begins to run towards the docks with her, only for them to see the kids blocking their way in a giant group. Stealing a nearby car, the pair drive away from the attacking kids and go to the other side of their island, where they hope to find some people who've been unaffected. They find a woman with children who seems not to have been affected by the madness, so the pair settle down until sunset when some adults will return with a fishing boat. Just before the evening arrives, some of the kids from the village arrive and stare at the woman's children, seeming to convert them into callous killers themselves. Tom and Evelyn leave when they notice this, leaving the mother alone with the ever-increasing number of kids. Running into another blockade of the children, the pair are forced to hide in a nearby house where Tom finds a small machine gun. Barricading themselves in one room, the kids eventually locate them and try to ram down the door. A small child ends up finding a revolver and peering into a window, about to shoot Evelyn dead, only for Tom to react to the danger by shooting the child dead. The other rampaging kids fall back, while the pair remain in shock at the state of affairs, with Evelyn suffering a breakdown. After the pair fall asleep, Evelyn suddenly awakens screaming in pain and hints that the baby inside is beginning to hurt her, confirmed by the children laughing. As Evelyn remembers that Lordes touches her stomach and lightly converted her unborn child, she then hemorrhages violently from between her legs and dies as Tom helplessly watches. Almost completely broken due to Evelyn's death, Tom wanders aimlessly outside and encounters another blockade of the kids. Seeing their innocent faces, he nonetheless ignores his instinct and fires a round of machine gun bullets into them and kills several of them. He manages to locate a boat, but is beset upon by the children who followed him, 
Taking an oar, he begins to bludgeon his attackers to death, until a coast guard comes nearby, and believing him to be harming the children unjustly, he shoots Tom dead. As the three coast guards head onto the island, the kids avail themselves of the coast guard's cache of weapons, and open fires on the trio, killing all of them. Taking command of the boat, the kids sail to the mainland with the intent to make the world's children play the same as they do. What else? What do you mean? There's something else on your mind. Well, uh, I was just thinking about what that man in the photographic shop said. Uh, that man is crazy, and people who suffer most from his madness are the kids. Now the Thailand has fallen, Asia is in the hands of the communists, and uh, civil war starts because of Mao's death. Asia? There's no war here. Yes, but there was a civil war once in Benavis, Evie. And it could happen again. Do you remember La Dolce Vita? La Dolce what? La Dolce Vita. It was an Italian film. Uh, there was a character in it, a man who was very wise and peaceful, married with two children, loved his wife, and uh, no real problems. And then one night he took a gun, shot his two children, then killed himself. Why? I suppose to save them the world of the future. You wanted to kill him? We have two others already. This one's all right. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be going to Almanzora. Do you regret it? No, not now. Killing your kids so that not made to suffer from the mistakes we make. <laughs> what? What was the director's name? Fellini. Italian. Yes. Of course, a fascist, just like Mussolini. <laughs> They're both crazy. Good night. This Spanish horror was released in 1976, the same year as its video nasty namesake, which probably didn't do it any favours with the misidentification. Not only that, but the plot details are also strikingly similar, both featuring two British tourists arriving on an idyllic island rife with death and destruction. It's one of those films whose subject matter and style of execution renders it a rather creepy exercise in genre conventions, and it makes it rather a memorable watch for quite a few reasons. I mean, despite having a script written in just four days, and the film cleverly filmed in Toledo rather than on an island, what you have here is a really effective shocker with hints of Hitchcock meeting with Village of the Damned. The plot is rather simple in the way that it's set up. Two British tourists are on a simple holiday, travel through a Spanish coastal town and then head for a small peaceful island to enjoy themselves and relax. Finding the population rather sparse and seemingly only inclusive of children, the pair begin to slowly realise the horrific truth of the island and they struggle to escape the impending danger. Because of the nature of the danger and the setup of having very little in the way of adult characters, the film does take a more slow-burn approach to the narrative, featuring only infrequent amounts of violence and ramping up the tension using the location's natural isolation. The film genuinely, though, has a very interesting premise. 
The children of Almanthora have become increasingly aware of the apathetic disregard that adults display towards each other, and are slowly turning into using that violent instinct themselves to rid the island of what they consider the bad role models, the adults. In a piece of Mondo-esque inspiration, the opening credit sequence shows various atrocities through reels of footage from Auschwitz all the way to the Vietnam War. The child casualties and the suffering of infants is particularly focused on, with creepy interludes of children humming a sombre tune. Even the television that Evelyn finds at the information centre depicts another tragic event of war that's happening in the world at the time. Evelyn is noticeably disturbed, and even makes mention of the fact that kids are always the one to suffer from the bad behaviours of adults. So, clearly, the socio-political implications of the narrative are evident quite early on, and this thread is still so relevant today. Even now, children all over the world are still suffering from the effects of war, with the migrant crisis quickly becoming one of the greatest international issues of the 21st century. Another of the plot details that is still quite refreshingly modern is the idea of outsiders and the fear of foreign locations. From the very get-go on their arrival in Benevis, both Tom and Evelyn make frequent mention to the amount of British people living in Spain. Notably, Tom is able to speak Spanish conversationally, though Evelyn is relatively clueless about the whole language. She's therefore completely detached from most of the people she encounters, as she simply cannot communicate with them. And this theme occurs quite often, such as when Tom is unable to understand the Dutch tourist who keeps calling for help. It all seems to point to the idea that when two cultures meet, the frequent occurrence in such situations is that of misunderstanding. Both Tom and Evelyn fail to grasp some of the situations correctly because of their outside nature to the locals and their misunderstanding of the situation. For example, Tom makes a mention early in the film of the Italian film La Dolce Vita when they're discussing the plight of modern children growing up in a cruel world. Tom grimly explains the fate of two of the children in the film, who are shot dead by their father to spare them from the pain of such a world. But Evelyn sort of misses the point by just dismissing the film as typically fascist, due to the Italian director. Tom fails to understand that one of the children who are fishing doesn't want to speak to him, and he violates his personal space to reach for his bait basket, while Evelyn allows Lourdes to touch her stomach, completely unaware of her actual intentions. Even in such moments as trying to get an ice cream and finding it melted due to no adults tending to it, our two main protagonists find themselves in dire circumstances hampered by their constant inability to understand the signs around them. In a particularly potent moment, there's a vehicle that's parked rather publicly in the middle of a square. It contains a corpse when they get into it to drive. But this vehicle is featured very early in the movie when they first arrive, and it would have taken only a few seconds to walk over to it and then discover what was going on right away. It's quite representative of their inability to perceive things around them, even shown in Evelyn's witnessing of the old man being beaten, and Tom withholding the actual truth about it and keeping her in the dark. The scene of the children using the corpse in a perverse piñata party is also quite a grim expression of a national pastime that's being grossly misunderstood. To Tom, ignorance seems to be the best policy, even to the extent that I don't even remember him really informing his wife about the children being killers, until she's just forced to coldly accept the fact when Tom shoots one of them in self-defence. It's quite notable though, and effectively so, how as soon as she knows of the danger, her opened eyes prove fatal as she now becomes aware of her own unborn child attacking her from the inside and it bursts into a chain of self-awareness, with her then remembering Lourdes' sinister actions with her abdomen. 
Symbolically, the adults are unaware of their actions and they pay for it dearly, as the children lucidly remember their shortcomings for them. The film does tackle rather a controversial theme, that of violence against children. While there's moments like the mother hitting her child repeatedly simply for popping his head through the door, which, in all respect, would cause me to rebel against the adults, the really shocking elements of the film is when Tom fights back against his youthful aggressors. The film does pose whether anyone could really kill a child, which is explained as the main reason why most of the adults have succumbed to death. Even the Spanish man who Tom and Evelyn find alone poses the same quandary. The film's first major shock is when Tom shoots one of the children dead, who is about to gun down the pregnant Evelyn. Even the other children are shocked at this reaction, and they retreat for the time being. Evelyn, however, cannot accept what's just happened and has a mental breakdown. In real life, of course, it would equally be a moral grey area, as it would be extremely difficult for any sane adult to intentionally harm a child, even when those children are aggressive. After Evelyn's very harrowing death, however, Tom has completely lost his boundaries, after losing both his wife and unborn child in a single instant. So he now kills the children with impunity, firing an MP40 into a crowd of them and bludgeoning them to death with a boat oar. In a Night of the Living Dead-style twist, Tom is gunned down by a passing Coast Guard, who, understandably, believes that he's a madman for attacking children, allowing the conniving kids to now reach the mainland. The violence against the children in the film is not super explicit, but the tone is callous enough to be shocking. In fact, the violence in general in the film is rather scarce, but when it's happening, it's rather uncomfortable due to the participants involved. It does add to the slow burn feel of the film, but it also allows the violence to be as impactful as possible without being exploitative. The downbeat ending, of course, though, is rather to be expected, and while it's not too imaginative, it does grant the film a lasting impression on you. I particularly liked the lack of true explanation as to the children's behaviour, as all the theories posited were simply hypotheses. The rather creepy way in which the curse is passed from child to child through either touch or penetrating stares is also more than a little uncomfortable, and it certainly hints at a more sinister, obscure origin for the murderous Chavis. Ultimately, the film is definitely worth a watch, not only because it's well made and clever with its premise, but its low-key atmosphere, punctured by moments of controversial and shocking violence, is entertaining enough to consider this a rather underrated little gem. Tom was played by Louis Fiander, who was an Australian actor who'd been in the 1960s TV version of Pride and Prejudice, as well as Dr. Fibes Rises Again and Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde. The director originally wanted Anthony Hopkins for the role, but I just assume really that Hopkins was probably unavailable. Prunella Ransom, who played Evelyn, was a British actress who'd been in Far From the Madding Crowd and 1979's Crime and Punishment opposite John Hurt. The postman, Amoros, was played by Luis Quiguez, who'd been in quite a few Spanish exploitation films like Horror Rises from the Tomb, Vengeance of the Zombies, and the Spanish giallo video nasty, Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. Fabian Condi, who played the camera shot man, had later appearances in Rings of Fear and 1982's Panic, which we've covered before. But that's pretty much it for casting. The rest of the actors in the film were children, whose appearances were pretty much limited to this one film alone. Director Narciso Ibanez Serrador, who was born in Uruguay, ended up having a successful career in Spanish TV, but he did very little in the way of feature films, with the exception of the 1970 horror picture The House That Screamed. The film was written by Serrador, who based it on the Spanish novel El Wago de los Niños by writer Juan José Plans. 
Interestingly, the same book was used as the inspiration for the 2012 Mexican horror Come Out and Play, which is in effect a remake of Serrador's film, starring Vanessa Shaw. Composer Valdo de los Rios also worked on Serrador's previous outing, The House That Screamed, and 1971's version of The Murders in the Rue Morgue, while cinematographer José Luis Alcain later famously worked on Spanish films like 2006's Volva and 2011's The Skin I Live In. Editor Antonio Ramirez de Loesia had worked previously on Vengeance of the Zombies and No One Heard the Scream, which was directed by Eloy D. Iglesia, the director of video nasty The Cannibal Man. Special effects were done by Juan Antonio Balandan, who, apart from appearing in the film as one of the older kids, also worked on the gruesome special effects of the video nasty The Living Dead at the Manchester Morgue and 1985's Alien Predator. Finally, assistant director Manahen Velasco had worked on Serrador's House That Screamed, as well as some Italian jello flicks like Death Walks at Midnight and Death Walks on High Heels. Now, the film was released in Spain in 1976, but it didn't make it to the rest of Europe and the West until the following year. Interestingly, the film actually had two releases in the UK cinemas, one of which was under the title Death is Child's Play, and another under the title Would You Kill a Child? In both forms, the film was released without cuts, and the same version was released on VHS by Hakushin in 1980, just before the Nasties Panic was about to explode. Now, as mentioned before, the film would have certainly been seized because it shared the same name as one of the Nasties. And it would have been certainly easy, as the distributor Hokushin was already on the police force's hit list for releasing Terror and Prisoner of the Cannibal God, amongst others. The film's similarity in plot, character and location to Nico Mastarakis' actual Island of Death would also have made the distinction quite difficult to notice, so it can easily be imagined to have found its way into police custody. No charges were brought against it ultimately, but video nasty buffs to this day theorise about whether it was this title, in fact, that was the intended target of the Island of Death listing. The theme of violence against children and the semi-graphic portrayals of such acts certainly would have been pounced upon by Mary Whitehouse and her consorts as the sort of unacceptable thing that our nation was being exposed to, so this theory is given a bit of credibility having seen the film for myself. As it happens, the film did become unavailable after the nasty scare, and it was unavailable in most territories until several DVD copies sprang up in Europe and the UK in the early 2010s. I believe the film is now available on Blu-ray as well for those fans of the film, and it is definitely a movie that's worth seeking out.
So, that was our bonus episode for today. Thanks so much for joining me on this bonus. You can catch our new material out on Friday, continuing the theme of child killers, with our child cults episode. And there's also another bonus mini-sode, which is out on Saturday, with the atomic ant frenzy of 1954's Them. This will then be the last of Nasty Pasty for quite a while, folks, as I'm off on holiday to Spain for two weeks. And no, not to an island of murderous children either. As ever, hit me up on Twitter or Facebook if you enjoy the show and give us your opinion on some of the films that I cover. I'd love to hear what all you others think. You might even get a mention on the show too. So until Friday though, take care of yourself and I'll speak to you soon guys. Adios amigos. (laughs) 